Science, exercise, nutrition, health, energy, passion. One year, no beer. This is the One Year No Beer podcast, where you will find all the latest tips, tricks and hacks for a way to live better. Welcome to another episode of the OYMB podcast. I'm your host, Chris Laping, and I'm joined by my very talented co-host and love of my life, Christine. Say hello. Well, hello there. You know, as we kick off this week's episode, I have to give credit where credit is due. Last week, you and I, we were having a conversation about guests that we should invite on the show, and you brought up this week's guest. It was one of those things where the answer was right in front of me, and you just needed to help me see it. Yeah, I mean, should I should I call it a day and on a good note? Remember that <laughs> Seinfeld episode, that TV show where George, I'm calling it a day. No, I don't remember that because oh. it's been like 20 years. So even if I remembered it, I probably would not be able to instantly recall it. Well, I did make the suggestion and thank you for recognizing. <laughs> so for all you listeners, I'm very excited about this week's guest. Chris Hemming. We've known Chris for many years, and I really love his story. And as I mentioned, I'm so happy that Christine suggested that we get him on the show. He is a living example of someone who has overcome a lot of adversity, but through it all is one of the most positive people I have ever met. There are a few parts to Chris's story that I think all of you listening will really enjoy today. First, Chris is new on his alcohol-free journey, and I think he'll be honest enough to tell us about the ups and downs of the decision he's made. Next, he is such a connector. I've often referred to him as the human Rolodex because he knows so many people. And when I say knows so many people, when he tells you a story about someone, I'm like, I have no idea how you could remember that many details about that many people. So we're going to ask him to help us, uh, who those of us who are introverts, for a few tips on handle uh, how to handle social settings. And finally, he's a fearless entrepreneur. Since uh, I have had so many OYMBers talk about their dream to one day quit that day job and start their own business, I'm going to pick Chris's brain on doing that as well. So without further ado, I'd like to offer a warm welcome to the show, Chris Hemming. Hello, my friend. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a while since we caught up. Excited that you guys reached out. How are you doing? Good. I, I wonder how many variations of Chris's we can have on one podcast. We might be setting <laughs> yeah. a world record. I know. Three Chris's. Chris, Chris, and Chris. And you know what Christine has learned, Chris, is that if you do a really great job, I'm going to trick you into coming in and hosting with us. And so the next thing you know, it's going to be the Chris, Chris, and Chris show. <laughs> That's exactly how it happens. I love that. Well, Chris, let's let's jump right into our chat, and I'd love to start where we normally start these podcasts, which is here and now. You are, I think, four months into taking a break from alcohol, and first of all, I have to say that I was so excited for you that you decided to do this. 
And I'm also just really excited that you have the courage to talk about it publicly. Um, and as, as a matter of fact, when I found out you were doing this, it was really through LinkedIn. And um, what I'm hoping you can start the show with is, is just tell us a little bit about why you decided to make this choice, uh, wh- you know, what was going on in your life, and why did you feel that this would help? Yeah, thanks again for having me, and I uh, hope you guys are staying healthy. You guys look great. Um, well, so I think, you know, as a leader, as somebody who leads a company or a team or as a dad leading a family, I think um, one of the things that really stands out to me is we're constantly working on taking care of others, right? Uh, we spend a lot of time caring for others, working hard to provide for others. And the piece that we miss is some of that self-love. It's it's taking care of ourselves. I think, you know, it's been a long journey. A part of this has to do with uh, physical health, but I think even more it has to do with mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a very religious family, and so alcohol really wasn't around when I was a kid. Uh, a lot of it came later in life as I started in my career and went the route of being an entrepreneur. You know, and and what we do for a living is, you know, we would host events around the country with top executives. And basically, we our job was to be fun, right, to bring people into a setting and help them build relationships. And a lot of that's done around social types of settings. And and with it being social, I think naturally uh, there's a lot of alcohol involved in it. As part of that as well, to make it fun, we would include pro athletes and major leaders and special guests, we would have a blast. And uh, what I came to find very quickly was, you know, maybe what started as social fun can start to sneak up on you. Mm -hmm. And uh, quickly found, you know, like, you know, drinking originally was tied to events. It was tied to fun, tied to social gatherings. And then uh, it slowly starts to, to, I think, seep beyond that, right? You find yourself drinking more in other settings. And uh, it kind of reminds me of, uh, if it's okay if I share a, a, a short story, last year, and maybe if you Google this, you can Google this, there's a, if you Google 183 passengers trapped on an Amtrak train, mm. um, do you know about this? No, no. Okay, so so my team and I, instead of flying back from Seattle to Colorado where we're headquartered, uh, thought it'd be fun, you know, as we would travel every week to kind of switch it up a little bit. And uh, we took an Amtrak train back to Denver. And in the nighttime, we were going up through the Oregon mountains and uh, there, it started to snow. You know that heavy snow where the trees start to bend yeah. and snap? Oh. And uh, well, if you Google 183 passengers traveling on an Amtrak train, we were on that train that got trapped in an avalanche oh. and hit a whole bunch of trees. And uh, I'll never forget it. Like when we got there, I started to notice a lot of anxiety, you know, is, you know, People were kind of uncertain, realizing that we weren't going to get help for a while. So I did what I thought we should do, and that was we bought up all the alcohol on the train. (laughs) And we threw the biggest party we've ever thrown. And uh, it actually, I got in trouble. I ended up getting banned because we were, we had too much fun. And and we just thought, well, we'll be saved in the morning. And uh, I'll never forget, the next morning, they couldn't get us help. Mm. And what was interesting was that following day, you know, what was fun, what had become normal, right? And those social settings actually started to get a little scary where, you know, now I'm starting to have anxiety about food. Yeah, right. And blankets. 
and other things that were more important. And then they sent a train to get us and the train couldn't get to us. Mm, and it was on the third day in the morning, they were able to finally get us help and they fed us with the Red Cross. And I think it was around that time I started to recognize maybe my priorities are wrong here. You know, I'm grateful that we're safe. And and some of that just started to click. And I, and I don't know, this year it's really clicked because if you look online, there's tons of memes, right? Everybody's making jokes about heavy drinking at home and ways to cope. And uh, COVID has been devastating. I mean, we've experienced that as a business owner. And our events halted in, in March. And that's when we really had to start looking. I think the you know, the cracks start getting exposed as some of this starts to pass. And as part of that, you know, the financial stress started to mount. Trying to lead a team became harder and started to find that I was using alcohol as a way to suppress that, to try to, to hold that down and almost like a duck on the water, look solid to my team mm. while paddling as quickly as I could under the water. And, and I quickly found that that it wasn't helping. I, I was definitely having to face some things that I didn't know I needed to face before. And so I don't know. And, and it ended up shifting very quickly. I noticed, and I appreciate your compliment about being a fun, nice guy, but, but like I found <laughs> that there's like this blur where you go from being the fun guy on alcohol to, uh, I call it captain justice. Like out of nowhere, I had this alter ego where, as things started to pressure started to mount, things started to get worse. You know, I started to realize like I, when I would drink, it would give me the courage to go stand up to that person who I felt had wronged me mm. or to go say that thing I probably wouldn't have said. And, and I called it captain justice. You know, it was like, I was doing the right thing. And what I quickly came to find out was I was actually hurting my family. Mm. I was hurting my customers. I was hurting people I loved. And very quickly, uh, it went from being fun to recognizing that if I want to be a better father and a leader, especially during a time of COVID, that I really need a clear mind. And, and so that, I mean, that's kind of a long story to your, your question. But I think what I realized more than anything was right now is the time to need a clear mind. Suppressing the damage that's happening is actually only making it worse. And it's been very significant. Yeah. Wow. That's great. You know, I have a friend that actually referred to what you just described at the end there as liquid courage. But we all know that yeah. that liquid courage, most of the time, is not a good decision. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like two things occurred to me when Chris was telling this story around the train and then this thing around, um, uh, be, you said Captain Justice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the first thing that occurred to me is like when I watch a movie and I know for a fact that that actor is still alive, that the scene that I'm watching can't be real because I've seen that actor alive. So I'm sitting here, you're telling the story. I'm like, how does that story end? Well, clearly he lived because he's here on the podcast. <laughs> and the second thing is I am so happy that I've never had to deal with Captain Justice. I, yeah. And when I say deal with it, that you've never brought Captain Justice out on me. That we never got a knock on our door with, you know, him in the middle of the message. night. 
hey, Laping, I've <laughs> always found you to be very rude and self-absorbed. <laughs> so, Chris, four months in, four months into your alcohol-free journey, you know, the people in the one year no beer community, especially in those early months, they go through a lot of ups and downs after they've removed alcohol from their life. And maybe your drinking wasn't as frequent as others, but can you talk a little bit about what's been going on in your journey now that you're alcohol-free, some ups and downs that you've actually experienced without drinking? Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, if somebody says it is, they're not telling you the truth. I think the the answer is, is this is a daily battle. Mm. Um, This is a a constant daily choice. Um, I mean, the, the positives, I'll give you an example, lost 30 pounds in the last four months. Wow. That alone, like, I did that, not that think you good. had 30 pounds to give, no. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Are you wearing a lot so of skinny jeans right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's there's a lot of benefits that come from rebuilding confidence that I thought I had, you know, and that courage that I think, like what you said, liquid courage was being used and having to actually face the hard parts. But I think I think the piece I'm learning is, you know, there's two things that are really dangerous. It's loneliness and boredom. Mm. And the thing that I, the thing that matters most is what do you choose and where your level of integrity when no one's looking, Mm. I think that right there is probably the greatest challenge. It's fought behind closed doors. It might be in a bar where people don't know you. And it's, it's knowing full well that someone will never find out. And what do you choose to do? And uh, I think right there is where the war will be won. And those are the moments that matter the most, I would say. And the other piece was trying to become obsessed with something else, you know, being passionate about entrepreneurship and doing fun things is good. But, you know, I had a, I had a great leader tell me once uh, out here, one of the founders of Remax, great guy. He said to me, he said, ginger ale. It was his suggestion to me was, <laughs> so I think the next goal will have to be to cut out sugar because now I'm obsessed with ginger ale. But, so, so if anybody out there knows of a really good ginger ale, I'm working really hard. I'm obsessed right now trying to find a great ginger ale. <laughs> but he said, short glass, iced ginger ale. He called the drink the chairman of the board. He's drank <laughs> it for years. And what he did was he would navigate rooms with executives with a sober mind and he was always a step ahead of everybody around him. And he said, nobody ever gave him a hard time. Short glass, ice and ginger ale. That's great. I I love it. Um, And you know, we talk about this from time to time. The thing is when you're in a social setting and other people are drinking, they actually stop noticing that you're not drinking by the time they get to their second drink. So it's like all you really have to do is just so you can save yourself the sugar consumption is drink a little bit of ginger ale in the beginning. But I swear to you, the second they get to their second or third drink, they won't even notice. Also, you don't have to give up the fun drinks. You can still get the stuff with the cute little umbrellas and stuff. (laughs) Exactly. But you can make them wholesome. Yeah. Totally. So I think that was the key thing, especially being afraid of not being the fun guy anymore. You know, you can still have fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Chris, if we can, I'd love to go back in time now because part of what really draws me into your story is some of the adversity that you've overcome in your life, Uh, which by the way, I've never found you to be someone who overly soaks in a tough past. 
But will you share with the listeners a little bit about some of the things you have had to be most resilient with? Yeah, I I appreciate the question. I think everybody listening, and I know you guys have been through a lot in your lives, and and your story is inspiring. It's, you know, we each have our own journey, and I think that um, it's easy to cover up kind of the things we're embarrassed of with, you know, this false appearance of success or, you know, the flashiness that's out there. But, you know, I mean, growing up, it was kind of normal life. I was adopted as a little boy, um, and I grew up in Colorado and had, you know, a really good life. As I said, you know, grew up in this strong religious family and, you know, things were pretty normal and, and never really had run into anything major until one night on a Halloween. And, uh, my little brother went to a high school party here in Colorado and, and, uh, tried alcohol for the first time. And he and his best friend were having a blast and they got in a car with their other two best friends. And, uh, as it does in Halloween in Colorado, sometimes it starts to, to snow kind of like when we got stuck in the train, that heavy snow again. Mm. And, uh, I'll never forget that night because as they were driving back home, um, as these young boys, they lost control of the car and it went spinning out of control and it hit a light pole and my brother went halfway out, the car rolled and crushed and killed him. And, um, that was significant for me because, um, I, I had started to experiment with alcohol with my brother. I had encouraged him. I thought like, oh, this is harmless. We're just being fun kids. And it went from something so harmless and fun to something so serious. Mm. And um, I think probably one of the most tender moments of that evening, the state troopers came to our home and brought the boys who had lived in the car accident. And I'll I'll never forget, um, as they came through the door, um, my mother sat there completely lost on even how to respond. I can't even comprehend what it would be like to lose a child. And I wish that upon nobody. And I remember her sitting so lifeless in that chair and so broken. And as these boys came through, we felt as a family these confused emotions of, of feeling like, do we feel angry? Do you yell at somebody? Do you, what do you do? And I will never forget as those boys walked through the door, my mother opened her arms and hugged each and every one of them and expressed how much she loved them. And how grateful she was that they were alive. Mm. And then not only that, I watched my mother forgive the driver, uh, his best friend, and then stand on his behalf in court. And I think that that moment really set a bar in my life of if she could forgive somebody who had, you know, done something that you could never make whole, um, how much smaller all the other things are in our lives that we get so hung up on. And, you know, what's interesting is that story happened and it was so significant in my life that you'd think that alcohol wouldn't be a problem, right? I mean, that is such a significant chapter that it changed the way we looked at things. But, you know, years pass, you know, we all have experiences, we learn from them and we kind of move on. And I went off to build a company and and it started to get, get successful and it grew into multiple cities across the country. And, you know, we got to the top of our game. You know, and I think that's the moment the universe is about to put you into check, you know, just when you think it's all going good. And 
And I had just left a business meeting where I had drank and I got pulled over and I got a DUI. Mm. And, you know, it's probably one of the greatest blessings of my life, but I got pulled over and I got a DUI. And many of us, I think, are really good at not getting pulled over. And it's one of those things It was, at first I was like angry, you know, I, I got caught, you know, and I would never hurt anybody. You know, I, I didn't want to hurt anyone. And I just realized like how I had started to forget the sensitivity of how, how important that is to keep others safe and keep myself safe, and my family safe. And so I got arrested and I got put in jail. And uh, that was devastating for me and, our, and my family because the consequences of drinking and thinking that nothing bad could happen really started to hit. So when I was brought home from jail, they started to notice something was wrong with me. And I started having a lot of confusion and they thought, well, is this related? And it was awful. I, you know, now I have an, I had a pending court hearing and I'm trying to run a business and this is embarrassing. I was afraid for my family to find out. And, uh, and I was just so confused that they kept finding me like wandering and I was doing some weird mm -hmm. things. And so, so my family took me to the doctor and uh, they did a head scan and uh, they found that I had a brain tumor and that uh, my brain had been bleeding and that I was going to need surgery to live. And uh, it was kind of one of those moments, and I'm sure you guys have been through quite a bit, in where you just feel like it can't get any worse. You know, here I am waiting um, to have a court hearing to face consequences of decisions that I hadn't taken seriously. And at the same time, now I'm facing what felt like a life sentence of wondering, will I live? And um, at that point, I thought we lost the company. And I'm very grateful and blessed. And, and I think you guys were involved with this. But many of the executives who had attended our events, uh, when I went into to surgery, um, started providing meals for my family and for my kids. They did Christmas for my kids. But I'll never forget it. Right before I went into surgery, the courts decided that they were going to wait to sentence me on my DUI to see if I lived. Mm. Wow. And that once I was done with that and going through that battle, that then we would face the DUI sentencing piece. And um, it's crazy how some things can start to escalate out of control, especially as leaders, right? We do our best to try to keep control of everything, right? That's what we're good at, like trying to, to lead teams. And then when our own life starts to spiral out of control, it, it's like you can't keep the house of cards up enough. And, and, um, and, I, and I'll never forget what that felt like is, you know, is went through that, you know, spent a lot of time in the hospital uh, working on getting healthy and, and surviving and trying to live. And my day came in court um, where I stood in court. And I'll never forget, like standing there with a scar on the side of my head down my right temple, grateful to be alive. And as the judge walked in to sentence me, I will never forget that moment in my life because I wasn't afraid of the judge. Mm. Uh, I was afraid of my mother who was in the courtroom. And, you know, I had let my family down. I should have known better. I had experienced the loss of what alcohol can cause. And my family was there for my sentencing. And the judge knew our history and he knew that there was a lot of emotion in the room. And I'll never forget it. As I was sentenced, 
my mother came up and she put her arms around me and she forgave me mm. and uh, expressed how much she loved me. And it was, a, I think, a lesson that came full circle that I don't think I'll ever forget. And she was right. I needed to hug more and judge less. And that example of forgiveness was something that was so significant of going through these different traumas and realizing that using alcohol to suppress a lot of that was not helping. Mm. It was just making it worse. I'm really struck um, by your story, Chris, because my experience for you, I've known you for a number of years and uh, you have overcome so many things in your life. But for those of us who have gotten an up close and personal look at you, you uh, have been so solid and so positive and kind of unflappable. And there's a part of me that wonders, like, how do people like you show up every day so strong and so positive? But I think you almost answered my question uh, for me in that it, a lot of it has to do with the solid foundation around your mother and the love and yeah. the forgiveness that she has shown you and she has shown others has probably become a very strong safety net in your life that um, yeah. you, I guess we can never take for granted the power of, a, to, you know, a loving mother. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think the other piece that really hit home to me was she was teaching me how to forgive others. But I think something we all fall trapped to in addiction is that pattern of shame. We are the hardest on ourselves. Mm. And that is a that is a scary place to be. And I think that if there was one gift I would give anybody listening is is I think that gift of forgiving yourself. That's the piece I learned from her was that like it, sometimes it's easier to forgive somebody else, but we're still so hard on ourselves, and it's hard to continue growing if we're beating ourselves down. Yeah, that message is so on point um, that I really hope um, the listeners absorb. You know, Christine and I watched a movie called Wild that has Reese Witherspoon in it. And very brief, briefly, uh, for listeners who may not have seen the movie, uh, Reese had a, uh, her character in this movie, which is based on a true story, had a very close relationship with her mother. And her mother unexpectedly um, uh, got cancer and passed in a very short amount of time. And when that happened, she spiraled. She ended up uh, in this massive addiction around drugs and sex. And um, I mean, anything that could go wrong was going wrong. And so this character that Reese Witherspoon played, she ends up hiking the Pacific Coast Trail which for those of you across the pond that don't know the Pacific Coast Trail, it basically runs up the west side of the United States, just north of the Mexican border, all the way up to Canada. And she wasn't a hiker. She wasn't an outdoors person. But she did this hike to basically cleanse herself of the hurt of losing her mother and then just the whole spiral of her life. I think she just wanted to take life back in control. When she gets to Canada, 
she's getting ready to cross the bridge and she's reflecting and she says, you know, I now know uh, that I should forgive myself for all of these things that I've done. And I don't want to forget because it's those things that shape me into the person I am today. So it took me a little while to make that point, but I think the point for the listeners, and I think this came out in your storytelling, Chris, is we have to forgive ourselves. That as you say, we will grant this to strangers in some cases. We grant this to everyone around us, but for ourselves, we are so, so tough on ourselves. Well, I think that you also pointed out something, you know, before we started recording tonight, where you pointed out how inaction can be dangerous, right? That that part of fear is that sometimes it puts us in a place of of being stagnant, right? You become stuck. And I think that shame and it's important to keep moving. It's important to keep moving up this hill. And uh, even when you fall down, and I think that that's where that forgiveness piece is, is, you know, sometimes you can't make it even. I mean, I learned that with my mom. There was nothing that other people could do to make it whole. That loss was so significant. And that sometimes there's things in our lives that we can't make even and that it's okay. Mm. But we got to keep moving. And that that's, the, that's how growth works. Man, four months. You've taken a break from alcohol for four months. And I swear, it sounds like you are someone with years and years and years of wisdom. And I think it's because you're, you've put all these pieces together. Um, and I'm so grateful that you uh, shared that story with us. So, Chris, I have admired you from afar because I am an introvert. I did not know this until I actually gave up alcohol and started to do a lot of self-work, but I am an introvert. And you, again, from the outside at least, it just looks like you're always the life of the party and you are such a connector. You seem to, like Chris said earlier, not have any trouble building these connections with people and um, deep connections, really, because you seem to know a lot about them. So I just want to know what that's like for you if we're right on. And does connection come naturally or do you have to work on it? And, you know, in the one year no beer community, there's a saying that comes up a lot that the opposite of connection is addiction. And so it's a really important concept that we have connection in our life, whether we're extroverts or introverts. So can you just share a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, what you just said is powerful. I kind of associate addiction to isolation. I I think we've all isolated ourselves uh, with our pain. Uh, We've withdrawn ourselves from relationships. Um, And yeah, that's fascinating. I think, I think, you know, after brain surgery, so now I have a pretty good size golf ball size hole um, um, behind my right eye in my brain. Um, it's really made me appreciate things that I took for granted. For example, remembering names. So where I'm cut here on the right side of my head affects short-term memory. Mm-hmm. It also affects the feelings, right? Like, so it makes me really nervous now to talk to somebody mm-hmm. because will I remember their name? And so as part of that, I think what I've found is almost like a crazy experiment uh, that that if you can move something from short-term memory to long-term memory by really being captive and really caring and taking interest in a person, that you won't forget that about that person. And I think that that piece actually is 
is really important. And so the way that I do that is around stories. So I love listening to someone's story. So a lot of times people, when they're in a social setting, they're like, they say things like, I don't know what to say. Well, the great news is you don't have to say anything. Mm. The secret is it's about asking questions. It's what you guys are good at. And when you ask a question, for example, if somebody was interested in horses, I don't know anything about horses, but if I ask them questions about horses and I learn about horses, you move it from a short-term memory to long-term memory. Now you'll never forget, you know, what you've learned. And, and now you have a, a three-dimensional bond with that human. And so we do the same thing with names when you meet somebody. You know, a lot of times, you know, they like, say, hey, what's your name? And then you, five minutes later, sorry, what was your name again? <laughs> it, really, it really does take some energy to mm-hmm. associate those pieces together. But if you can identify and listen, it makes it easier to remember something that's special about them. And when we make other people important, naturally we start to bond without even realizing it. And so what ends up happening is as you take interest in someone, you actually start to connect naturally. So I don't think, I think the biggest false sense of, you know, the thing where I guess we mess up most is we think we have to say something in a social setting to not be introverted, right? But I think it's about being very interested in other people. And then I think naturally that connection happens. Mm. Yeah, that's great. That is awesome advice. Um, you know, and we, we should probably just jump into this for a minute. You actually run a business that helps people connect. And specifically, you work with technology executives. And that's how I got a chance to meet you because I was a technology uh, executive. And I can say from my past experience of being a tech executive that it's probably one of the most introverted groups of people that exist. Now, I'll say Christine learned from her uh, break from alcohol that she was actually introverted. I actually learned the opposite. I had always characterized myself as an introverted person. When I stopped drinking, I actually found out how extroverted I was. But I think I can safely represent all of my fellow tech execs and say that most of them are introverted people. Will you share a little bit about what you do? Um, and I'm so curious, what things have you learned the most about connection by hanging out with so many introverts all the time? <laughs> well, I, I, I think I'll, I'll sum it up into this short story. This was interesting. We were with a group of IT executives uh, in a roundtable discussion, and, and this is a secret question we used almost as a great psychological play that I would suggest anybody listening can use with their teams, with their family, with people they're, they're, they want to get to know better. Or if you want to help a team bond, we asked a simple question and th- this is how we worded it. All of these executives sat there and I said, what is one thing that you're fairly certain or confident as you look around this room at your peers around the table, that as you look around this room, you're fairly confident it's something that you've done or experienced in your life that probably nobody else in this room has ever experienced. Hmm. Well, at first it was really uncomfortable, right? (laughs) Because we weren't talking about technology. Everybody hides behind what they're really strong in, right? We kind of lean towards our knowledge or our good looks or something. You lean on something to hide your weakness. And we went to this really nice guy from India and he was new to the United States. Uh, He was still learning English, great leader, wonderful man. And um, he was really shy. And he says, 
he says, he goes, I'm kind of boring. He goes, there's probably not anything that's unique about me that hasn't really happened to anybody in the room. And then all of a sudden this light went on and he says, well, I guess there was that one time I got hit by lightning. (laughs) And immediately, immediately the room erupted. That guy became instantly popular. Did people think he was joking? Yeah, well, they were blown away and he wasn't joking. He was a very, very intellectual man. And and immediately he had 25 new friends. And then what happened was interesting was other people naturally felt like they could now share. And so I would suggest that being vulnerable is actually a strength. You know, sharing something that makes you vulnerable ends up bringing other walls down. And so, so that was one of the things I found was as we could help people share stories and feel comfortable, they naturally bonded. So I have a question. Um, you know, when people become alcohol free, Chris teaches this mastermind course. And a lot of times what happens is people have a clear mind. They have all this extra time on their hands and they're like, what do I do now? And a lot of times what comes up is I want to quit my day job and I want to start my own business. So obviously you have experience doing this. And again, from afar, you look like you're fearless. You've shared some stories that I think that vulnerability you've shown us that maybe you haven't always been fearless doing it. So what do you think people need to do or what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah, and I admire you guys. I mean, you guys are doing just that. I I love that you're chasing entrepreneurship, your passions, you're impacting others. And really, you're not doing it for the job piece. You're doing it because you're truly making an impact with the talents that you have. And and that's, that's where I'd begin is, you know, each of us are given very unique talents and to embrace those talents. And I don't think it's about being fearless. I think we all feel afraid of certain things, especially in a an economy like this, you know, we can talk ourselves out of anything, right? I think it has to do with keep moving, don't stop, and go for it. I think it's taking that chance and then keep moving. It's simple, but hard advice. Yeah. That's what I would say. It reminds me of, I listened to this podcast, it's called Terrible Things for Asking, and the episode was... Um, the host was just answering questions that people had submitted and she was getting all these questions that boiled up to a single theme of how do you do it all? You're an author, you do these speaking engagements, you have this podcast. And it was just so funny because she said, I don't do it all. I have a team of people behind me supporting me. And what happens is a lot of times from afar, it looks like everybody's doing it all and they're doing it gracefully and they look great. And that's not reality. And um, I think that is also applicable to the conversation here about just keep moving (laughs) because you don't have to do it all. You don't have to be at all. And along that journey, ask for help. Yeah. You know, um, our guest a couple of weeks ago was Raquel Hanna, and she talked about that, that, you know, people push for perfection and perfection is not what you need. What you need is consistency. Yeah. So just show up, just keep moving forward. So, Chris, what's next for you? You've accomplished a lot. Uh, you've learned a lot. Do you have any new projects or goals that you're working on? I always find that when I get a chance to catch up with you, you've got something new and interesting. So do you have something in the hopper right now? 
Yeah, it's, it, I think that uh, this year completely destroyed a business model that had succeeded for 10 years, you know, uh, for us specifically. And there's other businesses that are experiencing the exact same thing. I think this year is great because it's forcing innovation. It's forcing new ways of thinking. And and instead of, you know, you know, being trapped, um, coming up with new solutions, it's really forcing our hands to come up with creative ways to solve things. I think as part of that, you know, our events were in person. And so we've been working very hard. We're launching a new virtual platform that's a leadership net, a leadership network that's based on values and not vendors. And, and we're really moving towards how do we make more impactful human connection through virtual communication, which can be hard. And uh, it's exciting to connect executives and to not stop and to come up with new creative ways to do that. So, yeah, we are launching a new product. Uh, it's going to be called Wave Pool, and um, so think you're waving virtually at a pool of your peers and executives. <laughs> and uh, so, stay tuned. That launches in December. We're really excited. But I think, from a personal standpoint, uh, Chris, you inspired me this morning. Today, I set a goal that I'd never done before. I decided that just that today was the day I'm going to start waking up at 4:30 a.m. because. <laughs> I thought that was fascinating. And, and so I posted on LinkedIn this morning really early and I immediately got a text from you and that fascinated me. I was like, wow, the greatest leaders get up the earliest. And then not only did you get up early, you then said to me, you were headed to meditation. And I was like, this guy is a superstar. So I, I definitely, that is one of the goals that I, I'm focused on is getting up earlier. You're gonna have to teach me about meditation, though. <laughs> you guys, you guys are awesome. You've got it figured out. Well, I don't get up at four thirty just to you know set the <laughs> record straight. I'm a little bit later at five forty-five. Well, Chris, it's been such a pleasure pleasure to have you on the show. And through your storytelling, we've learned that it's definitely possible to overcome adversity for people who think it's not possible when they listen to your story, you have proved them wrong. We've learned it's possible to create connections with people, even if you might be introverted. It's possible to quit the day job and run your own business. And it's definitely possible to do all of that and successfully take a break from alcohol, even though that can be scary and tough. As we close out this episode, what advice do you have for listeners about their own alcohol-free journey? And for anyone really who's just letting maybe fear stop them from doing what they want to do or need to do? Well, I think it's a day-to-day climb. And we did say keep moving, but I'd encourage everybody not to let shame or fear discourage you. And that anything is possible. I mean, if your goal is to quit your job and to build your dream, that it's worth taking that chance and you're worth it. And uh, that would be what I would leave with the audience. That was so awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for letting us put a microphone in front of you and for honestly and authentically sharing your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. And for all of you listening today, I want to encourage you. You can do this. You can totally do this. You are much stronger than you think. And I hope that you keep moving onward and upward in your own journey. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the OYMB podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share with a friend. And as always, I hope that you make it 
a great day. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the One Year No Beer podcast. For a full list of episodes and to join in the challenge yourself, head on over to oneyearnobeer.com. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.